Welcome to the What to Do Next podcast, where we discuss strategies to find your purpose in life. This time, I had the pleasure of talking to Holly Prescott. Holly is a higher education careers professional specializing in supporting postgraduate research students entering the world of work. In this episode, we discuss the keep, lose, add method and the importance of role models in figuring out what to do next. How's it going? Hi, Andreas. Good, thank you. Thanks very much for inviting me to talk to you today for the podcast. I'm really happy to be here. Well, thanks very much for joining. I mean, when uh, when I kind of stumbled across uh, your blog uh, on on the internet, I I knew I had to like uh, reach out to you. I I read uh, I read the the posts you had in uh, in in regard to kind of uh, career guidance for uh, postgraduate researchers, and um, yeah, I really enjoyed what I was reading uh, the, that you had on the on the blog, specifically like this keep lose add. Uh, method and uh, I actually did it on on myself like I tried to like mm -hmm. figure out actually that would be something if if since I have you here could you kind of like explain a little bit what this keep loose ad method is mm. yeah of course so if people listening are interested to check out my blog then it's called post gradual uh, you can get it on uh, it's www phd-careers.co.uk and it's a blog that's designed to take post-PhD careers advice one tip at a time and um, it's been uh, something that I've had in my mind to do for a while but one of the main inspirations uh, to get it out there was this keep lose add structure that you talk about Andreas so I know that with the pot with your podcast you really want to give people some practical frameworks that they can apply uh, to try to understand how their experience their interests can map across to uh, a broad range of careers uh, in and academia and keep lose ad is a structure that I realized I used but didn't necessarily consciously know it at the time. So I was a little bit late to the game, really, in thinking about what I wanted to do after my PhD. So I finished up a PhD in English literature and cultural geography uh, in the UK in 2011. And from my second year, I knew I didn't want to continue in academia because I felt like I'd taken my research interests as far as they could go, really. I thought, hmm, like after my master's, I felt I'm not done yet. After my PhD, I thought, yeah, I think I'm done with uh, spatial theory and uh, contemporary literature now. I think I want to do something else. Um, and what I kind of left very late was to think about okay, well, if I was going to turn my PhD into my ideal job, what, what bits of it would I want to keep? What bits of it would I want to lose? And what extra kinds of activities would I want to add to it? 
Um, and I wish I'd started doing this earlier in my own PhD. What I, I only really started to do it when I was in my first job afterwards. Uh, but that's where it came from. And I realized that over time, I was coming back to this question. Um, I was, as I left my PhD and I went to work in my first job, I was learning a lot about myself. And I was unconsciously asking myself, okay, so if I wanted to turn this job into my ideal job, what, what bits of it would I keep? What bits of it would I lose? And what would I want to add to it? And it's actually going through that process that led me towards working in careers guidance. So I can tell you a little bit more about the framework and, and how um, I applied it to my own experience, if that would help. Yeah, I mean, I would be I would be very curious um, about this framework. I mean, it's it's relatively simple, right? I mean, it's, as you described, like you just look at your PhD, but I think it's it's beyond your PhD. You can literally apply that to anything. I actually did that when I did it for myself. I kind of went through sort of every kind of work experience that I had, whether that was even research projects that I did for my undergrad or something. I was always kind of looking at like, okay, well, what did I enjoy? Because the things that I enjoy, for sure, I want to keep. What are the things that I did not enjoy? So that would be something that I would um, have to lose. And then what during my other experiences did I have that I would like to have added into there, as well as what hypothetically would be cool to test out. Mm. Um, now, that is kind of a bit of a tricky one, because obviously, as long as I haven't made the experience yet, um, I'm not entirely sure if that's something <laughs> that I would actually enjoy, but it just kind of sounds cool, like, and therefore, I'm, I'm going to add it in. And mm. that could be maybe like a starting point for like a, a next job, so to speak. Like, uh, yeah, you know, I absolutely. might not know if I want to do this yet, but uh, I would like to try it out. Yeah, I really like that this is a, a really simple thing that uh, that one can apply because um, quite a lot of the, the, let's call them tools that uh, I discuss with people here in this podcast while they're all super interesting, quite often they're very metaphysical and they require a certain level of self-reflection that may be difficult to be to obtain in the first place. So while I definitely mm -hmm. think, I think there's not a single method that I heard on this podcast yet that I wouldn't recommend um, people try out, but I can see how some of these methods, they would have to be almost trained. Like you would have mm -hmm. to first kind of develop the muscle for that level of self-reflection that you can build these like really complicated structures um, that would then help you define um, like your, your direction in life. And I like that this keep loose ad method is so simple. It's like, look mm -hmm. at your work experience, right? Like, and then just have three three rows right it's like mm. row one keep row row two lose row three um add and mm. then uh and then you can basically like almost like just list that out in form of a um almost like a job description right like yeah pretty much that's a really good way of, of thinking about it you're sort of composing your ideal job description as you're going through that process yeah I guess that could be particularly interesting in terms of um, narrowing down sort of the solutions that you have. Um, I was I was just talking with um, 
friend Beatrice on the other day, who's like the founder of Alp Safari. It's a it's a glamping, uh, like it's a glamping um, startup in in Switzerland. And one of the things that she was uh, telling me was that in her decision process, uh, she first applied external constraints. Like she was first saying, like, where do I even want to live? Right? Like, what is the geography there? Right? And this keep loose ad method is seems to me sort of like an additional methodology that follows the same idea. It's an external, it's an internal constraint. So it's like, these are the things I want to do. These are the things I want to have in my life. And that narrows down substantially what are the possible jobs that I, I can do. Because um, what I think quite often happens, at least for myself, is that there are too many options for me to choose from. There's too many things I could see myself working in. But then when I have an actual list where it says like it cannot contain this or it has to contain this, well, then I can literally like just cross off things and say, well, that's not possible. That's not possible. That's not possible. Um, did you apply that method to your own life? I think I did. Um, and I think I did for, uh, unconsciously for a while before I started to do it consciously. So I think what's useful about the keep, lose, add framework is we're not just talking about work activities here. So we're not just talking about, oh, I want to keep, mm -hmm. read, I want to lose teaching. I want to add public engagement. This can be any aspect of the work. So it can be well, I want to keep the environment. I mean, I want to keep working in a university environment or mm -hmm. I want to keep the fact that I have, I'm working with very smart people who are on my wavelength or could be, I want to keep the city that I'm living in and mm -hmm. I'm working here. So it, they, uh, it can even be aspects of your identity. Because, uh, I want to keep the feeling um, of being an expert a feeling like I'm an authority on a subject. So like mm -hmm. some more sort of identity and phenomenological thing you might want to keep. So we're not just talking about activities here that you might find in a job description. We're talking about other aspects as well. So the way that I applied this was, um, I might go on a little digression here of how I went from PhD to my first job. So um, in my second year of my PhD, um, I owed one of my friends a favour um, <laughs> and to pay him back the favour, he said, can you come and help me uh, organise an open day at the university? I uh, need some help running this postgraduate open day. And I said, oh, yeah, OK, fine, whatever. Um, it sounds a lot like it's going to cost me a lot less than other ways I could pay back the favour. So let's go for it. Um, and so I helped him out and he had me doing campus tours, taking prospective masters and PhD students around the university and telling them about um, the highlights of it. And I really enjoyed it as much more than I thought I would. And I weirdly got a bit addicted to it um, because there were more opportunities to get involved in that kind of work after I helped him with that one event. And I kept doing it and kept doing it. Um, and that experience gave me what I call an easy out. So that side hustle um, of uh, being an open day assistant 
and a postgraduate ambassador during my PhD gave me an easy out to my first job, which was working in postgraduate student recruitment. Um, so that meant that I was going around Europe. I was representing my university at study as and I was the face of the university to people who thought they might want to come and study there. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was a great first job. I got to travel a lot. But over and over, I kept saying to myself, OK, I know that I want to keep this feeling of being an expert on something, an expert on postgraduate study. Mm-hmm. I know I want to keep the feeling that I am um, an advisor. Um, I, I'm advising people. I'm helping people to find their next step. I wanted to keep that. That was something that was greatly satisfying to me. Um, and I also wanted to keep that university environment around me. I knew that. But as I was reflecting on my PhD experience and also my experience of my first job, I thought I wanted to lose uh, research in an academic sense because I found mm-hmm. it isolating. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the humanities. It involved sitting, reading a lot of books, and I wanted to be around people more. So I wanted to that isolating aspect of of doing research and I also wanted to lose this thing that I was developing in my new role uh, that had like a sales aspect to it so in that role I was only really selling one next step to people which was a postgraduate degree what I wanted to add an impartial aspect where I could look at the whole person and help them work out what their best um, what was best for them for the next, mm-hmm. not just sell them a degree. And that's what I realised I kept asking myself. And this is why I was unconsciously going through that keep, lose, add structure all the way through this first job. So thinking, OK, I want to keep advising. I want to keep a feeling of expertise. I want to lose academic research. I want to lose sales. But I want to add impartiality and putting the whole of the person. And then it just like the bits fell into place of thinking, well, looking at that written down on a page, that's career guidance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is pointing me towards that would help me to combine all of these things. And I had been interested in, in guidance before. I'd been fortunate to have a brilliant careers advisor. Hello, Lucy, if you're listening. Uh, I was doing my PhD. Um it was something that, that, that attracted me, the way it combined the teaching and the advising bits of academia, uh, but on a much more kind of practical level. And so that's where I got the idea. Um, and then from there, within my current job, I started to explore it further. So I started to shadow some of the careers consultants at my work, for example, to see what they did. Mm-hmm generously they let me sit in on some of the one-to-one consultations with students and slowly piece together what this job in career guidance could look like and was able to see it as something that I could envision myself in Mm -hmm. I think I'm quite visual in that respect I could see myself doing the things that these colleagues were doing 
And that was how I kind of brought Keep Blue's ad to life for myself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So did, like what you were saying just now, I find quite fascinating that you're saying like, okay, you're very visual and you need to be able to visualize yourself in that role. Is that something you, you tell people that come to you for career guidance, like do the Keep Blue's ad and then you have a job description And then, as you said, like shadow someone or like put yourself in the position where you could visualize yourself doing the thing and then see if you could stay in that position or if you would be unhappy there. I think visualization is really useful. It doesn't suit everyone. Mm -hmm. um, um, I have to be careful in my one-to-one -one guidance because uh, some people find it very difficult to visualize uh, and hypothesize. Other people really like it. So it's not something that I would recommend across the board. For example, neurodiverse people really don't find it's most useful for them. But I think it's helpful to think about insofar as, okay, so if we, if we want, after a PhD, if we want to move away from academia and do something else, to some degree, I guess we are limited by what we can envision ourselves doing. And what we can envision, I think, is restricted by what we've already seen. So if all that we've already seen is academic teaching and academic research, it's really difficult for us to envision ourselves doing something that's different to that. So what I think is part of how I work with people is on how we can get them trying out some of the things doing some different types of activities that can broaden their spectrum of possibilities that they can envision, if that makes sense. To It makes perfect sense. Like that's something that, that I talk with a lot of people on this podcast. Like the thing that seems to come up over and over and over again is like you need to look outward to gain the capacity to look inward. Like you need to have yeah. experiences and these experiences, they will on the one hand, shape you, on the other hand, give you a reference. And that yeah. you can utilize this reference to kind of, as you were saying, like visualize yourself in a specific role. And I think the more experiences you have, the more you have um, you have the, the necessary references for uh, visualizing yourself in your very unique spot where, mm. where you fit in particularly uh, but it's kind of like this trade-off right where like on the one hand you want to have as many experiences as possible on the other hand your time on this earth is limited like you <laughs> yeah, of course. at a certain yeah. point you need to stop shooting into the dark and like more focused finding a, a direction even if, if it's not per a perfect fit at least you needs to be better than what you're used to so that you you have a general improvement in quality of life mm. i think as well andres coming on what you were saying about that you have to look outward to look inward i like that but i think visualization is also useful because it can help us determine between what we're actually visualizing And what it is we're doing in that imaginary moment. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if I ask someone, you know, you, you, you're thinking, you know, in five years' time, you're in your ideal job, what does that look like? And they say, okay, I'm standing in front of a room of people um, and I'm, I'm standing in front of students and I, uh, 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 or I'm standing up, up 
in front of an audience and a room of people talking to them. That doesn't necessarily mean you're teaching them. Or if you see, okay, I see myself, um, I, I see, I, I, okay, I'm, I'm seeing myself um, getting to grips with some really big, complex data sets. You don't necessarily have to envision that that's happening in a dry lab, right? But you, you might think that's those are the only possibilities that you can mm-hmm. imagine yourself doing those things because those are the settings in which you've done them before. But say, you know, if, if what you're envisioning, so, so it's rather than saying, oh, I see myself teaching, it's to draw back a level from that and say, oh, well, whatever it is I'm doing, I'm standing in front of a room of people and I'm imparting something on them. And they say, well, you know, that could be anything from uh, from teaching to coaching to um, um, I think of some some other examples here. You know, it, it, but but do, do you see what I mean? It's it's Absolutely. Se- it's separating what your I think separating what your future ideally looks like. And the activities that you know can be really useful to explore what some of the other possibilities might be. Mm-hmm. I guess you want to make it as abstract as possible, right? Kind of, yeah. Um, and yeah, just try to remove those assumptions mm-hmm. um, that have gathered, that have accreted through um, the years that you've spent in an academic environment, strip those back and get back to the basics. So, for example, as well as the in the keep lose add structure, what's also important to ask yourself is okay, the things I want to keep, why do I want to keep them? So for example, one person might say, I want to keep teaching. I really like teaching because I really love inspiring students. The next person might say, I want to keep teaching. I really love teaching because I really like distilling complex information into a digestible form for lay people. Now, those two motivations towards enjoying teaching are totally different. Mm-hmm. So those two people might not each be happy in a teaching-based career because the reasons why they enjoy that activity is totally different. So when you strip it back and say, okay, those things you want to keep, what is it about those things you enjoy? That's when the possibilities really start to mm-hmm. widen and you can see where you can get those things in, in a range of other settings as well. Do you, um, so so this I find quite interesting because when you say like, okay, well, you enjoy teaching, but you enjoy teaching because of two different reasons. So you need to first become clear about why you enjoy the activity in the first place or the setting or whatever it is that you want to keep. However, again, like that requires a certain level of self-reflection, right? You need to have the ability to actually strip it away from its physical form and take out the metaphysical reason you enjoy it. Do you have any suggestions on terms of like, how would you go about this? Like some people might actually just think I enjoy teaching, but I'm not entirely sure why. Mm. I would say if you can try that thing in a different setting. So if teaching, for example, if you've taught undergrads mm-hmm. and, and, and you've enjoyed that, then maybe try um, getting involved in an outreach activity in a school right. um, mm-hmm. and, and delivering some content to school children mm-hmm. um, or delivering a talk to members of the public. Mm-hmm. 
So switch it up and try that activity with different audiences or in different contexts and see whether that um, that sort of that thread of enjoyment continues because if you if you if you move it from so if you move teaching from university and enjoy that to teaching school children and you think oh this is awful I hate it it's like well why? what's different about that mm-hmm. and that can then tell you and um, maybe try to tap into that metaphysical aspect of, mm-hmm. of what it is that, that that you enjoy or if you don't have time to do that seek out examples of people who do those things in other settings um just to to try to understand what the possibilities are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no i mean that, that makes sense i guess that goes back to what we were saying earlier about you you need to have more experiences in order to get the reference points to draw from to kind of like come back to the the more abstract reason you enjoy a, a particular thing um so no i don't I, sorry to interrupt yeah but and, and i don't necessarily think here we're talking a lot about trying things out testing the water mm-hmm. necessarily saying you have to do all of that whilst you're managing your phd at the same time mm-hmm. i didn't my first two jobs were very much testing things out your your transition beyond academia doesn't end with your first job. Mm-hmm. You keep asking yourself to keep things add as you go through. It's an iterative process. So I'm absolutely not saying that as well as balancing everything you have to do with your PhD and your, your work and your other responsibilities, that you should be trying to do a whole host of other things as well. If you can get involved in some other things to try things out, brilliant. But if you can't, your first job post PhD doesn't have to be forever. So use it as an experience for the iterative process that we're talking about right now. I guess that's what uh, what you did as well, right? Because very you, much, yeah. You, like it, it's it's kind of funny. Like when when I was thinking about it the other day, like you actually made the the question of what career path you should follow into your career. Like uh, this is this is an incredibly meta concept, and uh, I, I I really enjoy that. Um, but do you mind if I ask you, like, what was your first job after after the PhD? Um, yeah, so I've already described it a little bit. So the first job was working in postgraduate student recruitment. So mm-hmm. the office that I helped my friend out in, mm-hmm. where the postgraduate open days and the campus tours. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming towards the end of my PhD, my funding was ending in September. Uh, so I'm talking now around April of that year. I started to get the panic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need a plan for when my funders aren't giving me money anymore. What do I do? <laughs> and I started to think, okay, um, well, what what interests and what knowledge do I have that is of value to people out there in some way? And the main things I could think of were, I know a lot about art and culture because mm-hmm. of the subject of my PhD. Mm-hmm. I know a lot about what it's like to be a postgraduate and what it's like to be a researcher. So I took those two themes really and tried, thought about what I could do with them. And a, a, a 
full-time job came up in the postgraduate student recruitment office that I was helping out in around the April time when I was finishing in the September. Um, so I thought, it's a bit early, but what the heck, I'll have a go. Mm-hmm. Apply and see what happens. I know some of the interview panel already, the part-time work I've been doing. So I went for it. Um, didn't get it. But part of the interview was a presentation. And the hiring manager really liked one of the ideas I presented in my presentation um, and approached me a couple of weeks later and said, um, well, we can't offer you the job that you went for, but I have this extra pot of money. Can I take you on on a part time contract to make to, to realize the project that you presented in your presentation? So I thought. Mm-hmm. Sure. And that was how I made this segue. Like I say, it was an, I call it an easy out. This is why I think of like trying to work your side hustles to make it easy out uh, to leave academia and then leverage that. Um, so that was what, what I did. And that was how I ended up, as I described, going around Europe, representing my university at these study fairs. Can I ask you a quick question in between? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Is that something you would recommend people like work your side hustle or would you uh, would you say, no, this was cheating. I got lucky. <laughs> Is cheating bad? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not cheating, Andres. It's being industrious. Uh, ah, that, that's a very that's a very good point. <laughs> of, a very good way of putting it. Actually. Um, I'm being facetious. I'm being facetious. Uh, is I, it's down to your personal circumstances because mm-hmm. um, I work with a lot of researchers who say look I'm doing a PhD but on top of that I'm a parent I have a very busy life I have mm-hmm. all plates to spin mm-hmm. I can't afford the time to be going trying to do an internship and mm-hmm. you know, some volunteering and things like that I can't do that um so it really depends on the time that you have Now, but if you're in a position where you have to earn some extra money on the side to pay mm-hmm. for your PhD, I there is part of me that thinks, well, why not leverage that and try to do something that brings in the extra cash, but is also something that you could use as a bit of a segue um, in into a first job afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to people who might be fully funded. I might feel a bit more comfortable. I still think it's worth um, just thinking about doing some something that is not your research or not linked to your research. Because if anything, it will give you perspective, mm-hmm. and if anything, it will enhance your research because it will put you in contact with other people with different opinions and different perspectives, which I think can help make you a better researcher as well. So I think this is a very long answer to a simple question. I think in terms of recommending a side hustle, I would say if you have the time and you have the energy for it, yes. Mm -hmm. You can also use it strategically as something that can both enhance your research at the time, but also possibly give you some ideas about what to do next. 
I guess it's also kind of like just a, a way um, to essentially say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, yeah. Like it's, it's, if you're 100% convinced that what you're doing, even if you're not a PhD student, even if you're doing something else, if you're 100% convinced that what you're doing is the right thing you should be doing, then by all means, go for it. Um, however, like, don't forget that this might not stay um, possible for you yeah. to continue doing. And also, this might not be what you want to do for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Uh, I had, uh, I literally had my my mind blown the other day. Um, I was talking with uh, Eva Maria Zoll from uh, the founder of, of Culture Design. And one of the things she was saying is she was like, what do you actually mean when you say, when you ask the question, what to do next? And I was describing like, well, I think of my life sort of as this like Greek temple holed up by multiple pillars. And, uh, and um, you know, these pillars, they're, they're supporting it. And if you only have one pillar and that one breaks, well, then your life is over. Mm -hmm. But if you have multiple pillars, it supports it. Um, while I still think this is sort of a valid way of, of, um, of visualizing it, one of the things that she said, which really stuck to me is, is well, we, we have a problem here because um, you are seeing your life as static. And I don't think my life is static. I think it's ever changing. And I think that that is a really good way of thinking about it because what I wanted and needed 10 years ago is completely different than what I wanted and needed right now. And that might be different in another 10 years from now, even maybe just like in a shorter time frame from now. So I think like diversifying sort of your portfolio of even if it's just interest, even if it's just a hobby, um, is is always a good idea. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I think yes. And I totally agree. You know, we're we're not static individuals. One of my favorite quotes from one of the careers theorists that I uh whose work I really enjoy his name was John Crumboltz he worked at Harvard for a, a while and he passed away a few years ago and he said that trying to place an ever-changing person into an ever-changing job market is like trying to hit a butterfly with a boomerang mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, we can, you can, you can plan all you want to. Yeah. You can get your keep loose ad structure. You can whittle it down. You can think, oh, this is all pointing me in one direction of one career. Mm -hmm. But then if you put all your eggs in that basket and who knows, there might be a global pandemic. Um, and in five years time, that job isn't a job anymore. Mm -hmm. There's so much that we're not in control of. And that's why I think having extra strings to your bow is always useful. And I think also the side hustle piece means that you're not leaving the what else can I do right until the end of your program or mm -hmm. the, your PhD. You're actually exploring other things simultaneously. And I think if you can do that, have the the, the time and space to do that, that is so valuable because mm -hmm. you're not pushing yourself to this crisis point of, oh, my word, I, I thought I was going to do X. Now that doesn't seem to be coming off for me. Well, what, what on earth can I do? But right. 
and not just what on earth can I do? Like, what on earth am I even? Right? Like this, uh, yeah. this borders on an identity crisis if you if you hit like really a wall, right? While yeah. in your case, for example, like you, you had this side hustle already, and then this side hustle eventually led you to your career, right? Even though like the first the first one was maybe not exactly the direction you were gonna take later on, but it kind of like um it kind of curved the path you were taking into a different direction right mm. and that direction has become a more long-term strategy for you right yeah and it's really weird when I think back to it as well and this again so so Crumboltz that I've already mentioned John Crumboltz his school of thought on careers is called planned happenstance which sounds like an oxymoron because it's like mm-hmm. if, how can it be happenstance but all it means is that it's you preparing yourself to take advantage of chance opportunities when they come your way. Mm-hmm. So it's totally weird to think that I might be where I am now because I said yes to helping my friend Simon with an open day um, yeah. one time 13 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think, yes, that side hustle maybe led me to where I am now. But there was something that led me to it. This thing was attracted to the idea of being a friendly face of something, of advising people, of being in that position where I was helping and supporting and and, and um, helping people figure out what they wanted to do next. So I definitely think there's a push and pull mm-hmm. uh, in that, yeah, it um it put me on a path, but I moved towards it mm-hmm. by saying yes to, to a chance opportunity um, that just cropped up because I owed my friend a favour. Mm-hmm. And think about things like that. It can give you an existential crisis and you can start to think about the tiny decisions that you make day to day and how much of an impact they have on your life. And sometimes I can think about, oh, that blows my mind a little bit too much. But Crumboltz, I think, has got a point in that Maybe career plans are outdated uh, because things move so move so fast these days. So what we really need is is a strategy um, to identify what kind of chance opportunities are the best ones for us to take advantage of, um, and and how we can do that. That makes complete sense to me. Like the way that I kind of visualize it, you are in this solution space and this like three dimensional structure where you are cur- that is constantly changing. Like it, it's, there's a time component. This temporal component manipulates your, your surrounding and you're constantly trying to find the minimum. So you're the agent in there trying to move around. Right. And so what you're really doing, and I think that's also why why this question that I pose in this podcast is so broad, right? What to do next? It, it doesn't necessarily refer to a career um, in, in, in particular. It's more like I think of it almost as like you need some kind of algorithm that enables you to find the minimum in the quickest possible way because your, your surrounding is changing. And so those that are slow within this ever-changing um, like system, they are reactive to it and they are um, maybe exposed to points that they don't want to be in. Like they are put in a place that may not fit them. While those that are quick to react, those that have that algorithm that enables them to quickly find the minimum will be more likely to end up 
consistently in a place that is um, suitable for them. Mm. Right. And I guess that comes, that is, is um, in line with what you were saying with, you kind of need to be open to new experiences, right? Just like your friend who was opening, who was uh, opening the possibility to you to like, mm. um, like, can you help me out with these open days? Like, I mean, in your case, it was more like forcing you into this by saying that you owe me a favor, <laughs> but you took that opportunity and you changed it into um, like, okay, well, that's something that I can actually do. And I would be more comfortable in this role than in the role that I find myself currently in. Right. That would be mm-hmm. like a, a better path forward for the future. And mm-hmm. to me, that sounds very much like what you were applying even back then was a better version of the key blues ad method, right? Cause you were saying, you was talking about, um, you, you, you thought it was interesting and you could visualize yourself in that position. And so, um, even though you may have not applied the keep loose ad method as it stands right now, I guess that speaks towards the effectiveness of this method in kind of aligning yourself within this ever changing solution space. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that, um, in retrospect, like this methodology was applied by you in a good way subconsciously or in a poor way subconsciously? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, so I think I think my so my strat to start off with to start off with when I was coming out of the PhD, I think my strategy, uh, which was in terms of um, what do I want to keep, what do I want to lose. And also, what what do I have that's of value to people out there in the world? Uh, and trying to identify options through that. I think that strategy was a good one. But initially, my execution of it was all wrong. Um, and I say that because it gave me the ideas. Mm-hmm. gave me the themes of, oh, you know, pursue professional services roles in higher education. Maybe in the future, pursue careers. Or you could pursue something that works in the hinterland between universities and cultural organisations and being the person that's a go-between between them. It's like, great, I'm quite excited that I can see these, these, these possibilities accreting because I was going through that keep lose ad process subconsciously. But then when it came to approaching those employers mm-hmm. um, and, and pitching myself to them, that's the bit that I felt that I got wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, the reason why I say that is I remember, um, so as well as the postgraduate recruitment jobs at the time I was applying for and going for interviews in a number of different sectors, because as I said, I was also interested in arts and culture. And I went to an, in, I was invited to an interview for a job uh, for an arts organisation. And the job ultimately was to help that arts organisation to engage more diverse audiences. Mm-hmm audience development um, in the so in the interview what I should have done was to talk about how I had set up a gender and sexuality research forum mm-hmm. worked with an LGBTQ organization to promote this forum and to recruit a more diverse audience to it mm-hmm. but that's not what I talked about <laughs> I just talked about Shakespeare a lot. Like right. I went into those interviews like I was a literature 
academic researcher mm-hmm. because in my head that was still what I was, but that wasn't who they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kicking myself now looking back on, I had some great examples that I could have shown them of how I could have done that job, but they weren't the ones that came into my head in the interview because I hadn't made, it's what you said about that, who you are, who mm-hmm. are you and that identity shift. Mm-hmm come up with the ideas of the things I could do next. But I hadn't, but I wasn't speaking from that identity yet. I was still stuck in my old one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you were not, you were not, um, you were not, would you say you were not fluid enough? Like you were, you were rigid in your beliefs of who you were? Or was it more that you just didn't think about um, like who could you be that um, maybe it was a an error of 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 youth so to speak as <laughs> uh, to to say like I I cannot envision myself yet in this position I cannot I don't know what this is and so yeah. I will speak from where I am comfortable from speaking uh, yeah absolutely the latter you summed that up really well um and I think that shows that I hadn't done enough research about the job mm-hmm. I, I couldn't envision it I had an idea about what it might look like but I didn't know that that was what it it was I hadn't tested that out mm-hmm. so because I was naive and it was an error of youth as you say I was speaking from the, the only position I knew which was the academic one at that point So what I missed was I missed being able to say, here's who I am and here's how that is useful to your organisation. Mm-hmm. It was a connection that I failed to make in a lot of my earlier interviews. Um, so this is another part, I think, that we've got coming into this Keep Blues ad structure now in that, Yes, you need to do that reflection on what bits you've enjoyed and what you want to get rid of and what you want to add. But you've got to tap into that metaphysical aspect of, well, the things you enjoy. What is it about them you enjoy? What are the common threads and what options can that lead you to? But then when you identify those options, you've then got to do that extra bit of research of finding out what the language and the vocabulary of those options is, those industries you might want to go into, how do they talk about themselves? And you have to learn to talk about yourself, mm-hmm. their language. Otherwise, they might always see you as a bit of an alien, mm-hmm. which I think that employer about that arts organisation did to me. Um that they couldn't relate to me and the feedback from that interview I remember it there's a post on my blog you can go to and, and read it um where they said we felt that Holly came across as very academic in that every one of her answers was like an essay well I guess that's <laughs> where you were comfortable with right that, exactly that, that yeah. is what you know it's like well here's my answer and here's all the citations necessary in order to back them up <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no it's true one of the questions was uh, about what does equality and diversity mean to you mm-hmm. and I didn't think about it from the perspective of it, it's about it's about creating art and cultural and outputs that, that that wide audiences can relate to. No, I I cited like Pierre Bourdieu uh, 
<laughs> and, and his theory of habitus and things like that. And uh, I think they, you know, they 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 kind of they say looked at me as this strange alien that had just kind of walked in from the planes of cultural studies who did not relate in, in an emotional intelligence perspective with the role they were offering mm-hmm. and could not connect her abilities up with that. Um, and that is something that I work a lot with, with mm-hmm. the researchers that I work in in my current job. We spend a lot of time thinking, okay, sometimes the things we want to tell an employer about ourselves beyond especially beyond academia is not always what they most want to know mm-hmm. how do you I'm, i'm curious now like um we talked a lot about this keep lose add method and i i really think it's a great uh method for kind of starting out and continuing to assess yourself in how you want to kind of take a direction in life But um, the way that I see it is almost kind of that this is like the 80%, the 20% of effort that give you 80% of the results um, as kind of like, a, um, you know, kind of like following the Pareto principle. Like I can quickly do this keep loose add method and then have a very good idea of like, okay, well, I, I, I want to go here. I want to go there. Like this is, this is kind of how I have to adjust the direction of my life. But then when we talk about this kind of like additional effort that you need to make in order to uh, go towards this metaphysical space that then enables you to kind of transition from one place to another place, um, like I'm guessing that's where you spend the majority of your time working with your with your uh, your clients, right? And so I'm curious, like, how do you how do you do this? Like, is that something where there's also like a simple method that maybe requires more time, or is that something where you have to go on in the, on an individual level and drill into into person, like on a like every single person, and what is kind of like. Um, what is kind of on their mind mm, yeah it, I think it is absolutely an individual thing because people with people will have barriers at different stages of this process so and, and you have to identify where people's barriers are so some people's barriers will be before you even get to keep blues ad because they will say I don't want to lose or add anything I just want to carry on in academia that's all I want to do I will not entertain any other possibilities right so 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 their barrier is open-mindedness yeah and Mm -hmm. openness and the motivation to engage with the process Mm -hmm. in the first place the next barrier I think is that envisioning so People are able to say some things that they have enjoyed, they don't enjoy, but the ad is more difficult. They can't envision things that other things that could be out there, but that mm-hmm. they put into the pot. So then that's helping them to kind of make, make that bigger and um, to kind of widen their horizons for action is, is how we call it in, in careers and, and what ways there are to do that. And um, then you've got the people who whose barrier will be you've done the keep blues ad and um, you've come up with some ideas. Then their barrier is 
they're overwhelmed with the possibilities. Mm-hmm. So then you have to work with them to make the kind of options research manageable for them. So they might come in thinking, there's nothing I can do, that there's no jobs I can do. Right. Come out thinking, oh my word, there are so many jobs I can do. I'm just totally overwhelmed by. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then you've got to work with them on thinking, right, let's make this manageable. Let's just pick a few examples. How can we make this a manageable process for you? And then, like you say, going out, some people are all fine with all of that. And then their barrier is the articulation. Mm-hmm. You put yourself across to, to your future employers. So for me, I think is how I work with people is at what point are there barriers What uh, and how do those manifest? And then we think about strategies we need to overcome them. Because if you don't address a barrier and you try mm-hmm. to pull someone along with you, and to ignore that barrier it's not going to work right they have a wall in front of them you can't push them through there yeah whether that wall is their own motivation their own willingness their Mm. menace or their articulation abilities if you don't address one of those the, the whole process is not going to work and you're you're not going to you're not going to both like advisor and student you're not going to both be on board but the way that I see guidance the way I describe it is you work with a person to meet them in the place where they are not the place that you want them to be mm-hmm. and you meet that person in that place where they are when they come to you for the consultation and your consultation is a process of you walking with them shoulder to shoulder you're never a step in front of them as an advisor. Mm-hmm. Pull them along. You're never a step behind them, kind of trying to catch up with, mm-hmm. understand them. You're walking shoulder to shoulder with them through where they are and through what they're experiencing so you can meet the barriers as they meet them and see how you can work together over them. Mm-hmm. When it, And when it works like that, it's a physical sensation. I can feel it. I can feel mm-hmm. working with that person and we're making some progress. Um, and that's an incredibly satisfying part of the job that I do. That was a beautiful way of describing this. I, I mean, it is very, very obvious that you're incredibly like enthusiastic about career guidance. Like the, the <laughs> fact that you put this into, into this uh, metaphorical way of standing shoulder to shoulder with someone and um walking with them right like a a a fellow a um a a partner that helps with yeah. the the problems as they as they present themselves uh means that you kind of transcended the 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 physical realm and put it into the metaphysical realm right so so this is something that's deeply ingrained to you because you mm-hmm. have almost made it into an archetypical manifestation of 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 what it is right mm-hmm. like uh you have gone past a job and into almost a profession um if mm. if you want to say it like this well i think what i think andreas also what you said there taps into something going back to what we were talking about trying to identify future possibilities by envisioning yourself in certain positions and and i i, I still think this now 
um, 10 years out of the PhD. Uh, and I think that what leads me is not necessarily knowing the activities I want to do day to day or what I want to be doing in my job. Um, it's less about that. And it's more about how I want to make people feel. Mm-hmm. I wanted an opportunity to make people feel a certain way and to make people feel heard, supported, like they had a, like you say, like they had a fellow in this process of reconfiguring their ideas about what to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if anything's been with me through the whole process, it's been more that mm-hmm. <laughs> um, than any particular, than saying it wasn't so much of, oh, I want to be a careers consultant. It was, I want to make people feel heard and supported in this process of working out what to do next. So then I have a, have a, a, a very metaphysical question because if I then picture it, um, as kind of like you have this archetypical idea that you want to manifest, right? The, the way that I visualize this is kind of like there is an idea of, of you that's kind of in, in the heavens, in the clouds, and it's, it's, um, highly abstract. And you're on earth manifesting this archetype. Um, is it that then, If you look back, you could saw, you could see this archetype in certain people like throughout your life. And you yeah. were naturally gravitating towards this because of what they represent. Um, oh, yeah. That's a brilliant way of thinking about it, of thinking about, we are getting very kind of spiritual here. It's thinking about earthly manifestations mm-hmm. of, of that concept, isn't it? Absolutely. And I mentioned Lucy, my careers advisor, briefly earlier. She was definitely one of them, I would have said, I would say, mm-hmm. bodied that feeling for mm-hmm. me. And I'm no doubt there have been others, but that is a really interesting way of thinking about it. So maybe a way that you can kind of um, visualize yourself as we were saying like you do the keep loose ad and then you need to make this additional effort to visualize yourself in a an environment that you're not sure what it looks like or how you would fit in at the moment because of your as we were describing uh, problem your tendency to make this error of youth of uh, of having an identity in which you are comfortable with is by kind of looking into your past and your surrounding and looking towards those people that inspire you and that um, are some kind of take some kind of mentor role, whether that's willing or not willing, like someone you look up to and you see what all these people have in common to kind of look past them into their shadow um, that you ultimately, I guess, want to represent um, yourself and then take that shadow and cast it down onto the earth into roles where you could see it being manifested and then seeing whether you could be the version of yourself that you would like to be in that role. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's just like, 
an approach by a career theorist called Mark Savakas, who um, his practice actually, uh, if, if you if you work with clients in, in, in his way, you ask them questions like, who were your childhood heroes? Mm-hmm. What, uh, what magazines did you read as a child? Like whose posters did you have on your wall? And it's all about identifying that and, and what are the... Uh, what are the threads that connect those people? But I think this comes down to maybe we've hit a, a kind of kernel at the centre of what we're talking about here is another question that I sometimes ask people in my practice is, do you know anyone who you look at and think, I'd really like to do what they do? And if you say, no, I don't know, find that person Mm -hmm. because that's going to give you a whole lot of clues as to how you can real, how you can realize these things that we've been talking about, how you can manifest Mm -hmm. the, the things that you envision in your future and that you want to have on people. Because until you've seen it in action, it, it's very difficult to know. Yeah, it's almost impossible to to visualize, right? But do you think it's 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 maybe even enough to have it um, to have it through stories? Like uh, when we're particularly drawn, maybe towards a a movie or a book, right? Do you think that maybe there is a at least one or even multiple characters within that story that kind of represents something for us that we, we want to um, want to manifest ourselves. Like maybe it is not necessary, although probably suggested um, to have a person like this in your life, but maybe you can find the inspirations also by simply reading or or watching more yeah absolutely this is why i always suggest that people try to immerse themselves if they can so read case study websites of what people have gone on to do with a phd in the uk there's a great one called research careers that's done by university of oxford podcasts like your own and there are some other phd career stories just surround yourself with 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 stories of people who have made transitions and open possibilities for themselves because then that's going to also widen your horizons and widen what you can envision as well. So I don't think you have to have that person in your life. When I say find that person, it can also be through a process of networking mm-hmm. and going through alumni from your program, what have they gone on to do? Who's the cool one that you think, oh, my word, I'd really like their job? Things like that. That's, that's again, why contact and networking and, and having exposure to models, mm-hmm. I think, is, is very important as well. Well, I guess they could also uh, check out your blog and start from there. Where can they Absolutely. find you? Um, yeah, so uh, people can find me. Uh, on my blog, Postgraduate, um, the aim of it is to take PhD advice one tip at a time. You can find it at www. 
phd-careers.co.uk. Um, and uh, on the about me section there, you can see how to connect with me on uh, Twitter and on LinkedIn as well. Can they reach? Can people just reach out to you in, if they have some questions? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, I'm limited to how much pro bono work I can do in terms of I might not have the time to kind of read people's CVs for them. Mm -hmm. But if you've got questions about, um, yeah, if you've got questions about where to go to for information about PhD careers or you want to find out more about um, especially other opportunities to work in universities that aren't traditionally research or teaching and absolutely things that you can reach out to me about excellent well um we've been talking now for over an hour so <laughs> i i think we should wrap this up very soon but i really wanted to to thank you for coming on the podcast it was so interesting to talk to you thank you so much for for coming on the show you're very welcome andreas it's my pleasure as well thanks for having me